everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. If you've been jonesing for some good old-fashioned strength and conditioning talk, look no further than this week's episode with Dr. Tim Sukumel. While the crew questions him about the appropriate application of power and velocity-based training, Tim breaks down why it's so important to progress from strength to speed. How might a coach develop mental toughness, weed out the weak players, and condition their athletes? The answer used to be as simple as just running 100-yard repeats until your athletes start seeing the old white buffalo. But now there is a much more responsible approach to accomplish those things. Finally, discover the future of exercise science technology. A bodysuit that can recognize muscle activation might just be the ultimate biofeedback. Here it is, episode 407. Nation. What's <laughs> happening? This is Luke. This is John. And Taxella. The Waffle Stomper. And we are just moments away from starting another episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. I-N-G. That's right. This is Power Athlete Radio, and we are the trio that make it real. Trio? <laughs> I don't know. You we'll must, keep working on that yeah, one. Yeah, you're <laughs> the trio that's smooth like Mio. See, Mio. I like that. Mm. Milk. Yes. Um, AKA the Mio. Yeah. That's what Cashy calls it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have exciting news for you today. Uh, we have a fantastic guest on the podcast. We're going to get into some nitty gritty, talking about some research. Like, listen, if you're one of those people who are like, oh, I don't like the lit. No, you're going to like this one. I think it, it has good peaks and valleys in the sense of, um, for maybe the people who are less technical, you get your Cobra Kai talk. For maybe the people who are tuned in to know the exact percentage of blah, blah, boring stuff like text, uh, you're going to get that too. This is the perfect blend of infotainment. It's kind of the perfect blend of uh, Lambda, 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 and the uh, Tri-Deltas. Okay. Or, and the Deltas. Okay. So that's oh, Revenge no. of the Nerds? Alpha Deltas. Eight, uh, weren't they? No, Alpha Betas. Uh, so it was the Tri-Lambs and the Alpha Betas and the Omega Moose. We've got Tim Sokamel on, who is an assistant professor at of exercise science at Carroll University up in Wisconsin. He's a Wisconsin dude, Midwest dude. I always appreciate those guys. Um, really sharp dude. But first, we're excited to let you know that this episode of Power Athlete Radio is brought to you by Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Bing. So ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy the information, if you enjoy the banter, if you enjoy the subtle and not so subtle burns on McQuilkin. <laughs> oh, forgot about those. Yeah, yeah. Burn Which one? subtle ones off. or not so subtle ones? Burn ban is off. I saw driving home yesterday from Branson, Missouri, the Paris of the Midwest, Vegas of the Midwest. There was a huge burn ban is off sign. Did you steal it? No, I was trying to get a picture, but you know, driving and taking a picture and watching TV. Got a is Branson, Missouri, the Paris, uh, Vegas of the Midwest? It's kind of confusing. I don't know how to explain this. No. (laughs) (laughs) So how did it get the said nickname? So here's why it's the Vegas of the Midwest. Because they have gambling. Uh, They don't. (laughs) It's mostly like the shows. So they have like magic shows and like, like Hollywood impersonating shows. They've like got the Ripley's Believe It or Not. They've got like all cool, like these experiences that you would go to. So there's a lot of that and it's on a strip. So that might be how the adage was formed. 
but no gambling. I don't think so. Hmm. No, to be like honest river with you, like, boat? so we stayed, they have a showboat, which I don't think there's gambling on. Uh, and uh, we didn't, like, we stayed outside of it. So we stayed just on the lake, like mm. uh, Table Rock Lake, and it was awesome. Good time there. And then we just, like, kind of drove the strip because no one's been to Branson, and I had been telling them how great oh. it was. And I don't remember what it was, but I had to, like, stand by the story, so I was really trying to live it out. I'm like, have you, you guys ever are going to love it. Have, like, have you ever been there? That is the most Luke Summers thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I mean, back He's in the day. He's pumping it up, but doesn't ever remember really going there, but then has to buy in fully on this uh, kind of lie that he's like, oh, God, and people are going to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you said this place was great. You're like, oh. Wait, he didn't know they, the rest of the families would take him up on this vacation uh-huh. idea? Yeah, so they I'm just like pumping hard. I'm pumping air in the tires, and then we get there, and like there's historic Branson, and I'm like, I don't know. So like... There's there's literally a crossroads and you're looking at the sign and it's like Branson, historic Branson. And I go right and we like drive down this hill. That's nothing but traffic. And like we're stuck. There's a stoplight. There's a hundred thousand cars, it seems like. And there's nothing like I'm like, is this it? Well, like, I can't remember. I was maybe seven years old when we came here. <laughs> and all I remember is like going on a slick track of go- uh, at go-karts. Huh? So they had like a, go- a slick track go-kart and learning how to like turn into the slick track. And That's all drift. I remember. Yeah, yeah. 100% is where I came up with the Fast and Furious movie concept. <laughs> and then like it all just kind of mixed in with the Dells because we had gone to the Wisconsin Dells a few times, which is... Uh, up it, it's like adventure, water parks, theme parks. Uh, literally, Branson is basically the Dells of Missouri <laughs> and, and vice versa. And then, so long, then we'd like flip the U-turn and then drove down and there's like all these kooky buildings and Hollywood Wax Museum and I don't know, just stuff to do with kids, to be honest with you. And then probably some like adult shows being like comedy and music. Barbershop Quartet. Mm. Like standing shows like that, and uh, yeah, it was uh, so wild. Is your year? Uh, are you guys committed to a yearly trip to Branson, Missouri? I think I am. I'm going to tell everybody how great it was, <laughs> but it's mostly just it's it was central to Chicago homies in Texas. So it's it's to me it's easily drivable. Ten hours, eight, ten hours for Texas, eight hours for Branson mm. or uh, for Chicago, and then it's Table Rock Lake is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no shortages of like vacation rentals on the lake, mm. um, and pretty affordable. So, nice. cool. I recommend. However, once kids get older, go kart. Like I am, so I wanted to go kart so bad. I love go karts. Oh yeah, who doesn't? Oh my gosh, man, I can't wait. And my punk kids are going to be like, "Oh, Dad, you, you're we're going to roast you. I'm going to smash, smash those kids into the guardrail." No, I'm going to spin them out. No, no regrets. No regrets. And I'll get kicked out. I'll be, I'll be fine being dad getting kicked out of go-kart places where crashing into kids. Like my dad was. <laughs> nice. But no, it was solid. Cool. It was solid. Which leads us into Power Athlete Radio, the Branson of the... Branson, no. Missouri, of fitness podcasts. Oh, overhype, oh. underdeliver. No, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. right, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoy the podcast, we just ask: go to wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a review, give us a rating, share, share, 
your favorite episode with your family, with your friends, whoever else might be interested, and let's build up that listenership. Right now, what we are going to do is read a review. Is this for... Are we going to? This is a review for Power Athlete Radio. This may or may not be for Power Athlete Radio. So you're going to have John read this. It's a five-star review, and I don't... I didn't read the name. So, John, you got it's a five-star review. you got to read the name, and then you got to read this person's review of our show aloud for all of our listeners. Uh, you go below. Oh, you go. Which one? That one right there? From Pat Sloan, September 6, 2020. Title, Life Changing Podcast. <laughs> I am forever indebted to the Power Athlete Podcast for introducing me to the Ben Greenfield Podcast. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're welcome, Ben Greenfield. Yeah. That's what we do. We're all about cross-pollinating. We're like the bumblebees of fitness. I like that other one right there. World's most interesting man. Uh, philosophy, strength conditioning, old stories. I could literally listen to John Will Borne talk about literally anything. Mm. Who's John Will Borne? Uh, he's his French hack. Oh, yeah. You're the French version of John Will Borne. Yeah. yeah. He's way more interesting. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. So... Head over to iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify. doesn't have reviews yet, but they will soon. And make sure that you leave us a rating and a review. And tell your friends. Now, enough about us. Let's get into some nitty-gritty. Let's learn a little bit about some research in the strength and conditioning industry. Uh, let's learn about some new approaches to building some testing matrices for your athletes, coaches, and maybe even uh, you, the listener, who might just be banging weights in their garage. Learn a little bit about the technology that's going to be coming out um, and how to use it. Sound good? Ready, Should we ready. do it? All right. Go. Tim, we, you come highly recommended, and I want to give you the no opportunity pressure. to introduce yourself to our <laughs> listeners. Who are you? Where are you from? You've shared some experience already where you got educated in Tennessee and then now are educating in Wisconsin. Yeah, so Tim Sokomel, I, uh, I actually grew up in Wisconsin about an hour, um, an hour from where I'm at now in uh, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, and uh, did my undergraduate work at University of Wisconsin Oshkosh and then stayed in state for my master's degree at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse. And uh, from there, um, you know, I decided to pursue a PhD and studied under Dr. Mike Stone at East Tennessee State, um, which was a shock to some people in terms of leaving Wisconsin, not to say that you're expected to stay in the state all year round, because, you know, we always say that you have three seasons in Wisconsin, you have winter, hot and construction. So um, that's, you know, that's usually how it, how it goes here. But um, yeah, you know, my my kind of journey from there, um, I, I taught one year in East Stroudsburg University in Pennsylvania and then uh, got the job offer to come here. And now this is my fifth year here at Carroll University. So I'm teaching in the uh, undergraduate exercise science program, as well as uh, I'm also the program director for our master's in sports physiology and performance coaching. Um, in addition to that, because, you know, why have just one thing on your plate? Um, do a lot of uh, still coaching with the athletes. Um, so I was, you know, 6 a.m. training session this morning with the volleyball team and then, you know, teach at 830. Uh, but to be honest, I wouldn't have it any other way. I enjoy the um, I enjoy having the students. I enjoy having the practical side of things and staying fresh on all the uh, weight room, uh, the weight room stuff. And to be honest, from a research standpoint, I get more ideas 
working with athletes in the weight room than I do teaching students in the classroom or, or reading research in general. So uh, find, you know, there's still some research out there. It's gotten better where more people try to, um, they do research for the sake of doing research. Uh, and for all of us, that's not, you know, that's not our goal. Our goal is to benefit practitioners. So if you're, I basically say, if your research isn't applied, it's kind of pointless. Um, I know that may be rash or harsh, but um, you know, that's, that's my opinion. Um, you should be able to apply it. You should be able to replicate it. And, uh, you know, that's everything that we try to do here with all of our work on weightlifting movements. Um, you know, my PhD stuff on potentiation and, um, you know, some of the eccentric work that we've, we've been putting out as well. So Tim, I feel like this has become a pretty tech enabled, um, tech enabled industry I get, or I fuck it, call an industry. But when you were going through your exercise physiology education, a lot of this tech wasn't available. So I would imagine a lot of the research as well was, um, I guess, less objective and substantiated. Or uh, is that is that wrong thinking in terms of what what the the current students have access to in terms of uh, leveraging for their research and coming up with the subjective data? Sure. Yeah. Um, when I was when I was going through my programs, I was fortunate enough to, you know, have access to a force platform. You know, now at our university, just here, we have, uh, I think we have three different sets of force plates, three or four actually, because one of, you know, beyond, beyond some of the major companies that are out there, like your Kistler, your AMTI for, you know, for force plates, there's a lot of other companies that have made force plates more affordable and a lot easier to use. So an example is we have some, we have some Kistler force plates that I'm sure if you put the price tag on, they're probably 10, 12 grand a piece um, versus, you know, a company like Pasco, uh, we can get two force plates for about $750 a piece. Um, plus the software, you know, rounded out to, you know, 1600 or whatever. I mean, we're sitting pretty good and those are fairly dense and they're research um, capable and everything. Um, yeah, but I, I just feel like it's become more accessible because whether it's practitioners or whether it's researchers, they want to be able to prescribe um, or use the results that they get in an objective manner, as you mentioned. You know, the, the big trend right now is using things um, for velocity-based training. And um, while some of that has obviously been around for a while, things have been improved to make it more user-friendly. Um, you know, going back to force plates, there's now technology, um, whether it's force decks or whether it is Hawken Dynamics, they have software that you can perform a counter-movement jump or something, and it will auto-analyze it for you. And so it takes some of the legwork out of it because it's going to auto analyze, you know, you can export it into Microsoft Excel or whatever you're going to use. And it just makes it a lot more user friendly. Um, and of course, you know, with the prices coming down, it makes it more available to more people. That's, I just, are there, um, I guess some of the old vet, sports scientists how are they embracing a lot of the new tech in in this space and uh is there any pushback on like i guess the old school approach to uh to training versus now embracing kind of new tech in some of this research or or is that 
I guess I'll just hand it off to you on that. No, I mean, I think, um, I think it varies on the person, but, uh, you know, I, I worked under Mike Stone and, you know, he, he embraces a lot of that because being the sports scientist that he is, you know, he may be uh, over 70, but he's still, he's still very adamant about, well, let's put him on force plates. You know, let's have him doing isometric mid thigh pull. Let's do, you know, squats and uh, squats on the force plates. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff I do is with weightlifting and he's like, Oh yeah, just have him perform it on the force plates. Um, but now with things like VBT, um, you know, push bands and uh, tendo units, et cetera, gym wares. He's always interested in testing to see, are these things doing what they're supposed to be doing? Um, you know, I know one project that was done while I was at East Tennessee was uh, Kimi Sato, um, no longer there, but he was the one that did some of the initial pilot testing of the push bands. And, you know, we come to find out that the original push bands may not have been doing everything that they were supposed to, which is why they recalculated things and came out with the 2.0s. Um, so I would say in terms of embracing it, I think it's based on the individual, um, but everyone who I've come in contact with has accepted the fact that this is part of the game now. And for the most part, they've tried to, or at least everyone I've come in contact with sees the value in it and they've tried to of update um, themselves on some of that. I will say there's obviously the opposite side of things as well, where um, you'll get some coaches that say, I don't know about this force plate stuff. Like, I don't understand it. You know, tell me what this means. What, like, what is impulse? What is that? So, you know, it's, uh, and it's not from, a, it's not a lack of education. It's just a lack of exposure. So, um, you know, we try to continue to educate sport coaches, um, strength coaches on all this stuff, but it's, um, as you mentioned, it's going to kind of vary based on the person. Have you found that over time, uh, the more and more research comes out and more technology and whatnot, it kind of proves what like, you know, your mentor kind of probably projected it to, or it just is kind of interesting that a lot of this observation stuff that these guys looked at for a lot of years, uh, you know, now it's just, they're actually able to show the data to prove what they're seeing. Yeah. To me, it's kind of amazing, uh, having conversations with, uh, with doc stone while I was there, um, makes a comment and said, Oh yeah, we measured that back in the eighties or we measured that in the seventies. And I was like, well, did you publish it? Well, no. Well, for us then we're kind of like, well, it, it kind of doesn't exist, but, um, but yeah, to, to your point, you hear coaches uh, talk about, you know, we've seen this in the weight room, but now being able to objectively quantify it, I think is incredibly beneficial to show one is what you saw. Is that truly happening? Um, but being able to put numbers on something, you know, it gives us, it gives us that ability to see, is this working? Is it not working? Is it measuring what it's supposed to be measuring? Yeah, purely from a validity standpoint, I think the addition of the technology has been beneficial to uh, to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And who's who's benefiting the most? I see that the potential is a high school coach where you can take this data and then implement it, but you have to understand it first. So who well, right your now? athletes have to be ready for it. Exactly. Well, I mean, because a lot of this stuff. Spoiler alert. Yeah, well, I, mean, I did want to get into high school uh, training, but <laughs> sticking to the coaches before we get to the, like, the application, how do they? Well, I, uh, just to tell you, this weekend when I was in California, uh, I got the opportunity to train uh, my nephew Luke and his buddies who were doing bedrock. 
Yep. And uh, I started talking to him. Um, I imagine like we're sitting in a garage. I'm telling him like, hey, have you guys ever heard about compensatory acceleration? Hell no. Which is like the same <laughs> conversation old man Zang has had with me in the early 90s. Were you and, uh, were also forcing, force feeding them like Navy brew coffee as well? No, no. And I didn't order them sandwiches <laughs> either. But as we were talking about it, like I, as I was watching them and I was like, hey, man, this mechanical, mechanical advantage increases, so does speed. And then I realized that uh, they were still in the inter and intramuscular coordination. Like it was like every rep was different. Feet were moving. It was so cattywampus. And um, I realized like, I don't know, like maybe that's a six weeks down the line. Like, like I wonder, like, you know, you can talk to them now, but I wouldn't want them to add mechanical, you know, like compensatory acceleration, try to be as fast as they could from point A to point B, uh, as ugly as it was looking. But yet I was happy and excited to see how ugly it was. You know, so I wonder if that becomes part of the deal when you start testing people, like where that comes into the come in. So sorry to cut you off on that. Let's see. We fall in love with technology too much. Um, so we try to make the technology, make the decisions for us. And I think the issue with using technology with everybody and using it all the time is we forget about coaching. And the coaching is not something that technology can do. The technology can't see how someone is moving. So if we're using something like uh, velocity-based training where we're tracking barbell velocity, the person's velocity may be faster, but did they mess up their technique in order to do that? Sure. sure. So that's the that's the one thing that we need to be, uh, among other things, but that we need to be wary of when implementing technology. And I know you mentioned high school athletes. You can certainly do it there. And I'm sure, well, I know you had a question on high school. So, Well, we, uh, I mean, we found that when we were using the, the Tendo unit that, you know, with the string, if you get to the very top and you give it a little fucking calf raise a little shrug what? shoulder no. all of a sudden it like dramatically increased your time <laughs> to the point where we were like yeah because you got like it averages out that curve, curve. And that little that pop at the end yeah. totally it changes that algorithm yeah and then people get all like uh you know it just and then you get to the point where you're like okay dude this isn't working anymore the way we mm -hmm. wanted it to just line them all up you know we're gonna see who has the fastest calf raise go yeah i'm in <laughs> have you been to power athlete <laughs> This is this is part of the questions that I, I sent earlier is with research. How do you factor in execution of movement right, right. as Proficiency. an as an example, say a, um, a a research study poo poos on a squat or one specific movement and then puts it out there for the Internet and the coaches to say this squat doesn't do that. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Squats do, like, for example, blanket statement. I think what you're talking about is that who? was there's no posterior chain engagement in squatting. It's hamstring. Yeah, no, one would all, all, all rectus femoris. Mm -hmm. So just how do, how do you factor in now as you're in a power position to perform said research? Is it in the crafting and, and writing of the abstract to show your value and execution of, as you demonstrated with this previous statement? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, people will... People are always going to be skeptics when you read certain literature, no question. So when people say that everyone did, everyone in the study did a, a parallel back squat, well, what is parallel? Is parallel top of the thigh, parallel the floor? Is it hip crease even to the knee? You know, is it hamstring parallel of the floor? Because all of those are different positions. And, you know, I hate to say it, but you kind of have to give the researcher the benefit of the doubt. And the way that they get around it is, um, and what we've done is each session was monitored by a certified strength 
conditioning specialist or a you know a registered strength and conditioning coach. So that's kind of one way that they get around it. Um, but again, we still assume is good. Now, the only exception to that is if you are talking about adolescent athletes versus you know collegiate athletes and that type of thing, you can assume to a point, and it's not always true, that uh, collegiate athletes technique is going to be better because they've had more exposure to it. Um, so one of the things that I try to do with each of my studies is I try to list their years of experience with the exercises that I test. So if I'm looking at weightlifting movements, I'll say these people have, you know, five years of training on average with these movements. But as you know, five years can be a good five years or they can be a pretty crappy five years. Um, so at least it puts a number on it. Um, you know, generally speaking, the more experience you get with something, the better at the better at it you're going to be. Um, but again, it's if their if their practice is garbage um, and their practice repetitions are garbage, then their technique's probably going to be garbage too. But as we coach, we just did a 10 week training study, so it was coaching the athletes or the individuals in the study throughout. So we're probably refining technique in addition to other things, um, or in addition to providing an overload and all that. So as technique improves, you know, we we ha we kind of have to make that assumption, unfortunately. And with a research study ongoing, can you intervene as a coach? Can you correct, or will that take away from your your purpose? So the study that we did. Um, the first of its kind is we did a uh, it's a 10 week study looking at the differences between training with weightlifting catching movements versus pulling movements that were loaded exactly the same so example would be if someone is doing a power clean from the floor versus a pull from the floor um, but then we also had a third group that did a pull from the floor with an added overload with weight because you can do because if you don't have to catch it you can use more weight so because we coached everybody the exact same throughout it, that's kind of, it, you, would, you would assume that the group that would perform catching all the time would improve their 1RM more than anybody. And that's not actually what we found. We found that those that did pulls, both uh, submaximal and supermaximal, ended up improving their 1RM of a catch despite not catching for 10 weeks more than those who caught all the time. And so I don't, and I can, I took video because I knew someone was going to ask me about it. I took video at the beginning of the study and I took it during the study. I took it at the end of the study of specific individuals to say that these improvements are probably going to be increases in strength, but also probably improvements in technique. But because everyone, because I took videos of catch group, pull group, overload group, to show that everybody improved their technique throughout the study. So you, we can't necessarily justify it as a confounding variable. I just think of, <laughs> to be honest with you, I think of what, a, what that dreaded reviewer two is going to ask me about. And then, you know, it's, I try to plan ahead so that if they say, well, it's just changes in technique, I'll be like, here, everybody improved in their technique. It wasn't just one group. Yeah, that's some that's solid thinking. The uh, that the the eighth man, tenth man. Which one is it? World War Z. I think it's eight. I thought it was the twelfth man. I thought there were no, no, no eleventh man. 
Because aren't there 10 men in football? Someone to beat the 11th man? No, that's the crowd. Maybe. Nobody knows. <laughs> I know it's five with toothpaste, but... What? what? Is that Four from... out of five doctors approve... Uh, is that from Wayne's World? No. Oh. Uh, before I drop a joke, John, I make sure I cross all the T's and dot the lowercase J's. That's from <sighs> Wayne's World, too. I'm sure well Tim does that with his research. You know the best is Tim doesn't even think that's funny. Like, <laughs> no, I know you just the said reference. Well I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. I use Wayne's World references all the time as well. I just can't I can't with uh, with some of my students because that movie the first one came out in like '92 or something like that, and the most of my students weren't born until after 2000. It's a sad so, world. Sad, isn't it, sad, I, sad. I like I can't reference Tommy Boy anymore, which is really sad. So. so what, off topic, but what's the farthest away out? Like a Super Troopers two, they don't get that one. Not Super Troopers two. Oh, I was but Super say, Troopers uh, is don't that? Don't even quote Super Troopers two or Super Troopers two. We I don't still even seen it. Yeah, we just don't even pretend it was ever made. I so, can still reference every once in a while. I can get some references with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Wow, wow. Um, but that, but it's the most obvious one. The Bueller. Uh, yeah, Bueller. Yeah. Um, I can't get everyone on that, but the other movie that I try to get people to, to see all the time, especially in our field, is Heavyweights. Mm. Tony, Tony Perkis? Tony Perkis. God, what was Heavyweights? Oh, oh my. Ben, ben Stiller. Stiller. Evil. He basically plays the same character he did in Dodgeball, but he does it at a fat kid's camp. Mm-hmm. Great coaching. Oh. That's where I learned how to coach. Yeah. <laughs> Get on the scale. I, Get off the scale. Uh, I have not seen it. Well, lunch is canceled, John, due uh, to lack of hustle. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just got DVDs for Matthew Modine's movies signed that you guys have to watch because I'm pretty sure you guys have never seen Memphis well, Bell. There's you, a Blu-ray. You, you've only seen... Yeah, they're Blu-rays. Right. I don't even know if it's a Blu-ray. Uh, Here's a Vision question Quest for Tim. And one other. Tim, have you seen the 1985 wrestling classic, high school wrestling uh, classic? 1984. Vision Quest. It was 84. I believe I have. It's been a long time, though. I, I will say it I am, I am getting, I'm getting to reminisce now because I've been binging Cobra Kai. Ah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I watched it on the airplane on my trip to California. It's great. I haven't seen it. Ah, dude. It's, uh, it, it, are they too old? Or are they still like? No, they're super old. And now, like, here they are. And they're probably, what are they, like 50s now? They got to be in their 50s. Yeah. And they're like meeting as adults, and the rivalry starts all over again. Do they still got the moves? Uh, they look old. They are now the Miyagi's. Yeah, they're oh, they yeah, they're, teach. They're, yeah, they're like the John Grease Miyagi, and they're battling. And the good, the good kid finds the bad coach, and the bad kid no, finds the good coach. No, no, I'm only halfway through. Uh, I think Johnny Lawrence has always been the good guy. Oh, you're on this like YouTube. Dude, conspiracy, oh, conspiracy theory. Uh, no, he shows it as he's talking. He's telling the story to his apprentice, uh, the kid. And he's like, hey, this was my girlfriend. He, he, he honed in on the girlfriend, beat him up, sucker punched him, put water on him. I'm like, dude, Johnny Lawrence is just defending himself. Well, yeah, they, they grabbed onto that for this series, 100%. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Tim, do you have a theory of who's the real bad guy of the original Karate Kid? You know, I'm going to be honest. The more I watch uh, the original Karate Kid, the more I, I don't like Daniel. <laughs> mm. um, but, I, I mean, it's it's just self-preference. I There's certain movies that you, that's, pieces of it stick out, and it just gets annoying to me after a while. Um, but, you know, when you get to 
you're the best around. I mean, I could watch that scene over and over again, but, um, you know, the one-liners have sweep the leg. Um, you know, keep that stuff in there all day long. But I, I am, I, I'm actually rooting for Johnny right now. Yes, me too. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. It, uh, it's great. Uh, like I, uh, the other one I got into is The Boys. Oh yeah, dude! You told me to watch it, and I was like, oh, "I'll check out the first episode." Instantly hooked. Oh yeah. Like, have you seen this? I uh, haven't the seen that yet. Amazon, no. the boys. It's it, yeah. it's like they're superheroes and they're total degenerate criminal scumbag. Like, but it's awesome. Like, I uh, Luke told me about it, and I was like, "Ah!" Oh, and then finally, I clicked it on, yeah. and I was like, "How have I missed this? This is right. It's dark. It's twisted. It's it's, it's great. It, it is. It's fantastic." Let's go back to Karate Kid one of the famous um i guess famous mentorship and coaching examples of patterning like using a a different activity to pattern and apply um and build proficiency in a lot of the defensive and offensive karate competition movements so let's go back now into a lot of this the research that'll come out maybe that is potentially misappropriated in high school, right? So like coaching versus technical application to a population of athletes that might not be ready for some of this, whether it's tech or even advanced coaching or training techniques. Um, I, I feel like this was a kind of a hot topic years ago when we talked to um, Jay Dawes, mm. right? And he had mentioned one of the, the biggest issues was the misappropriation of advanced training techniques for populations not ready. Like, that was one of his opinions. Are we seeing anything, like, are we able to start to substantiate this and put proficiency or skill level like you're doing, Tim? Like, are other researchers putting this in their findings as well so that there's a, an easier transfer for, to the correct populations? I think um, I think we're kind of highlighting that a little bit more in the sense of we're making sure that training is going to be individualized. I tell my undergraduate students all the time that there's no such thing as a cookie cutter program, and there shouldn't be. So while they, while they may be using the same exercises, they may be either loaded differently or have a different purpose. Um, so that's one that's one thing that we try to do. Um, but from the technology standpoint, uh, I focus on velocity-based training because as soon as we start to implement those types of methods, the, the emphasis changes. There's several things that we can get out of VBT that are great. We can get feedback to the athletes immediately. So we can say, how fast was that rep? Okay, you do that rep, we want you to go faster. So that's great. It creates competition in the weight room and everything, and we always like competition in the weight room. But I will quote Brian Mann, who's one of the big VBT guys, and basically say that unless you're strong, you don't need to use VBT. You're not really going to benefit all that much. I remember having a conversation with him at um, NSCA Coaches Conference, and um, a friend of his came up to him and asked him about using VBT with tennis players. Now, tennis players aren't necessarily known for maximal strength, we'll, we'll say. It's not to say they're not strong, but but, you know, relatively speaking, uh, they're not they're not weightlifters, for example. Um, and he said, well, we're going to use VBT. Ryan's like, well, are they strong? Well, they need to be, you know, before we change the emphasis on 
what someone needs to focus on in terms of velocity, they need to get strong first because we can get a lot of benefits from only gaining strength. Now, I also come from the school where, you know, I believe Doc Stone has a shirt that has Yoda on it that says, squat two times body weight, you must. So, you know, just because he can. Um, but uh, the emphasis in training starts to change once you get a higher relative squat, relative strength. So we wrote, we wrote a couple articles called The Importance of Muscular Strength uh, in Athletic Performance and The Importance of Muscular Strength Training Considerations. So second paper really honed in on, the, in the, um, on individuals, all the different types of methods you can use to train, body weight, machines, free weights, weightlifting movements, ballistic exercise, you know, uh, variable resistance training with chains and bands, that type of thing. Ultimately, what the conclusion was is that until you get the most out of your traditional training movements, you know, squats, presses, pulls, until you need a new stimulus where your uh, performance isn't improving, and that tends to be anywhere between like 1.8, 2.2, right around two times body weight in terms of a squat, um, you can continue to see or regular benefits uh, by only gaining strength with those movements. But once you need a new stimulus, that's when you just need to start implementing things like VBT, when you implement things like variable resistance training or accentuated eccentric loading with weight releasers and things like that. Now, the issue is that can you use those with a younger population that's less experienced? Yes, but if you do, Later on, you can't use them as a novel training stimulus because they're already used to it. What you're trying to do when someone gets up to that two times body weight uh, squat is you need to introduce something that they haven't necessarily experienced before, where their uh, emphasis shifts from only getting stronger to either maintaining or increasing strength and getting faster. Sports aren't play, played slowly. We can increase our velocity to a point or our increased velocity and power by only getting stronger, but eventually we're gonna to have to use a, com a combined method where we're training strength and training velocity, which is kind of where um, some of the research has gotten into with individualization of um, you know force velocity curves and that type of deal. So Tim, I do wanna jump in real quick. You said sports aren't played slowly, and I think that the nuance of language is important here. They shouldn't be, because I've seen some of the slowest <laughs> athletic attempts I've ever seen out of my colleague and co-host here, Tex McQuilkin. <laughs> okay, context, what sport? All. Any sport that I've All. dominated you in. I disagree. What? Uh, dude. What? Ping pong. Burn band's on, off. Wait, burn band's off. I saw a sign driving home. Yeah, you're too slow at ping pong. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you're faster, you might be able to take a game or two. Oh, my God. <laughs> but my accuracy, I'm the Greg Maddox of ping pong. Neil Maddox? No, Greg Maddox is a pitcher in which he tops out at maybe 92 miles an hour, but his placement put him in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. So what you're saying is that you're in the Hall of Fame of ping pong? Of placement on the table. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. You don't even have a forehand. And, and we got our obligatory burn on McQuilkin in. Um, <laughs> No, man, I'm, I'm with you, and we always try to, uh, you know, that's one thing we've tried to differentiate or, or highlight is, you know, the, the major differentiator of athletes is, I mean, can be strength, but it's mostly speed when you're talking about field sports, right? All things, if you were to consider all things equal, um, 
the fastest player tends to prevail, right? Well, we, we see it, too, uh, as you go up in levels. Like, um, you know, a pretty good high school player goes all of a sudden to college, and he's slow. And then he has to be able to pick up that speed. And then all of a sudden he gets done and he's maybe a pretty fast, pretty good college player. Then he jumps up to, let's say, like the NFL or a major league sport. There's like a new type of speed that you have to do. And then even when you get into the playoffs, like that speed or the Super Bowl, whatever it is, I mean, there's like these different levels of speed that you have to be able to take and compete at that level. And the people that can't just kind of go by the wayside so it becomes the the great separator i mean just to be and just to be clear i mean i'm not i'm not saying only train strength i mean we're going to be utilizing a lot of movements throughout you know we may be our primary emphasis with weaker athletes maybe squat press pull and you know the primary core lifting movements but at the same time jump squat you can still use weightlifting movements um, that are maybe simpler in terms of technique um, but you can certainly do things that are faster and, and you should, um, you know, we should sprint, we should still do, uh, ballistic weightlifting movements, but the emphasis starts to shift. You know, I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but your emphasis, you know, goes from like a 70, 30, and then you start to switch and have that gray area in there as well. Yeah. We, one thing that the big guys always said is, athleticism is built upon this foundation of strength. So there's this base level of strength and that, you know, it's uh, aligning with exactly what you're talking about in terms of, and, and I guess it's technically muscular strength, but there's like a level of proficiency built into that. There's a yep. level of coachability built into that uh, trainability. So, and that, that only comes through kind of hit, like you said, you, you just hammer those foundational lifts. You get some quality coaching layered on there and you, you start to like build the platform for all of this jiggy shit that uh, is coming out right now and being validated through research. Do, do you have any other ways to measure velocity outside of a barbell? Like I always wondered, like, uh, do there, is there something you could attach to like uh, the med ball work? Cause I personally found uh, the med ball work to be one of the uh, biggest differentiators for me, especially as I progressed into my athletic career, like that ability to overcome speed, the reactive force, something coming off the wall to be able to catch, you know, for rotation and transverse plane. But like all of that med ball work, man, was huge. So I wonder if uh, like, you know, we would do reverse throws with like shots and jumps. And, you know, I just wonder if there's a way to measure some of that stuff and if that's useful as well. Yeah. So there's um, there's a company. I can't remember which company it is, but there's they have put um, accelerometers in med balls. So you can actually measure the velocity of the med ball. Um, they've actually done this a while ago. They, there used to be some I remember my, my brother had one is a baseball that actually had a monitor in it. Now, how accurate it was, no idea. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, the technology has improved since then. But, yeah, we can measure barbell velocity, um, med ball velocity. Center of mass velocity is, uh, is king when it comes to a lot of our athletes. So force plates can obviously do that. We can put a lot of these monitors where hooked up actually to the athlete themselves. So like a push band you can wear around your waist, for example, um, there's now apps, um, you know, that, that measure jump performance that can get some of those metrics, how accurate they are up to interpretation. Um, but there, there's some of them that have been completely validated. Um, and that's, uh, you know, like, I think it's the app is just called power lift. And I don't know if it's power lift or whatever it is, but there's a handful of apps like the just jump app and things like that. 
Is there anything that you've come across recently that um, completely dispelled any of the myths or any of the kind of the foundational things that you think strength training was built upon? I always wonder if there's, you know, I mean, there's obviously like core things at which, you know, everybody kind of subscribes to, but I wonder as time and and, uh, technology increases, if it starts chipping away at some of that old guard type of stuff. Well, and even... I just had a conversation with my with my grad students in our last class, and all we were talking about was different methods of loading. So the king, you know, the thing that everyone gets taught when they go through school is percent one RM. Well, there's a lot of problems with percent one RM. It's an absolute number. And the problem with an absolute number is there's different variables. Now, if we were robots, we could go in and say, okay, I want you to lift at 80%. I want you to do five repetitions, and they would be able to do it every single time. Athletes aren't robots. So we have outside stressors. We have lack of sleep. We have a terrible diet. You know, all of these things factor in. So I start to get away from some of the traditional methods of doing things like that, and technology can certainly add to that because – we think about our, our methods of uh, prescribing repetitions. If we say, all right, now we have 10 reps that we're going to perform in a row. Now, I know that I might have hit a nerve with some of you because 10 reps just sounds like a terrible idea right now. Um, but at the same time, we know that the barbell velocity is going to slow down over the course of those repetitions, assuming that the weight is you know, a somewhat challenging weight, moderate, moderately heavy. Well, what VBT can do with that is it can track barbell velocity and tell us a little bit more about that. But again, we also need to put it into context and say, do we, does it really matter that we're slowing down to this extent during it? Because I'll tell you, one of my issues with VBT is if I'm doing max strength work, I couldn't care less what the velocity is. Just move the weight. So to answer your question, um, I know I've probably touched on it, danced around a little bit as well, but um, there's all these things that have been preached as kind of Bible for a long time that we need to start, that we continue to question, and rightfully so, because there's more than one way to do things. No, I couldn't agree with you more on the 1RM deal. I mean, to be good at 1RMs, you have to practice 1RMs. And you also need a high level of central nervous, central nervous system efficiency and something that beginners and people that are relatively lower on the scale, like you said, then, you know, below that two times body weight back squat just aren't wired up to do it properly. And we did this test years ago. We had uh, a bunch of people squat one RMs. We started taking off weight and having them do, you know, max reps. Hey, this week I want you to do max reps at 95%, 90%. We had girls that could do a one RM and then at 90% get like 18 to 20 reps. Yeah. And they were like, what, what does that mean? I'm like, it's not a true 1RM. You know, if you can squat, you know, 18 to 20 reps at 90% of your 1RM, uh, it's not that you have just some, you know, you're some freak outlier. It's just not a true 1RM because you don't, one, you've never done it. And two, you don't have the central nervous system efficiency to really give me what I need. So well, at that and, point, and- it, it, it became stupid for me to use 1RMs. So the whole basis of my programming became rep maxes. So we would pick different rep maxes. And then based off of that rep max, we would look at, all right. And then we went back and looked at, um, the rep maxes and start taking percentage of the rep maxes and yep. then st- using those to hit what we wanted for our velocity based training numbers based off of the, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? The Tendo unit. So, yeah. I mean, we worked back into it and I found that, you know, it, it was a lot better for people for, you know, fives at 85% that for a five RM and then cut that down to 80 and get them to move fast. than it was for them to kind of use these arbitrary one RMs, which we knew were inaccurate numbers. 
And so yeah, I think I mean, just, yeah, just training and knowledge, you see this and you're like, this makes more sense if people are getting better here than doing it off of this. Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the 1RM in essence is a moving target. We're fresh at the beginning of the week. Say we tested 1RM then. Well, that's a, that's a number that you get. If you were to test at the end of the week, it's probably a different number. Sure. You know, ba based on external stressors. So um, I think you hit the nail on the head is that things have evolved from we go from 1RM. 1RM can be accurate if you're using other things with it. So things like reps in reserve, RPE, because now you actually have some feedback from the athlete of how hard was that versus saying, here's your number, go do that, be gone from me. You know, you do that, uh, but now moving from, as you mentioned, to rep maxes. Rep maxes can be good for a while, but again, if you only train at rep maxes, you're training to failure and you're training to failure often. It's not to say that you can't do that periodically, because it's always nice to kind of see where you're at, but at the same time, you are just pounding them in, term of, in terms of neurological fatigue and just running them into the ground. So, but as a percentage of your rep maxes, so now it's more like the set rep best method with VBT as feedback. Now you get an objective measure. If you use RIR with that, you get a subjective measure. And now we'd rather train, I would rather train someone submaximally moving with good technique and moving it fast than running them into the ground and training to failure all the time. Sure. Uh, when I was in college, we had um, uh, my strength coach, a guy named Todd Rice, and it was like pure snatch, clean and jerk, push, you know, jerk and uh, front squat type of programming. Um, so I played football at Cal and we did. I remember the first time we ran it, we did like it was like a 12 week program. We started with our one RMs and at the end of the 12 weeks, we were supposed to test and obviously have a, you know, 105 to 177 percent increase. And I remember somewhere around week four, week five or week six, all of a sudden I saw my strength shoot up. And I would like the weights got really light. And I remember thinking like, man, I should start going for some one RMs and really see where I'm at and, um, you know, stick with the program. By the time I got to that 12 weeks, I was slightly stronger than I was when I started the program. And I remember being a little frustrated because I had like a, a 101, 102% increase. So then I remember we ran it again. I was like, next time that comes up, I'm going to go for it. And sure enough, we ran the program again or a similar one six weeks out. I was at my strongest, and I ended up setting uh, like, you know, 100. I think I snatched 130, and then I cleaned and jerked 172 and a half. And um, I never even hit those numbers at the end of the program. And I remember thinking, like, this is where uh, I started feeling like classical periodization failed me and uh, failed a lot of the guys that I played with. And, I'm, and then we just, you know, for power athlete, developed something I call gambler sets where if you feel good, I want you to be able to go for it. Like, I know what we have scheduled, but if you get in there and you all of a sudden feel like the weights are super light, I want you to turn it up and pour gas on it and try to set a PR if you can, because I realize yep. how fleeting those are. So, like, that inherent periodization starts kind of working in. And, uh, you know, when we started talking to Chris Morris, we found more and more information like that, that, you know, everybody kind of cycles into this thing, uh, you know, differently and that you have to allow your athletes to be able to to shoot for those when you when they need it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I... The issue that I have sometimes, especially with doing 1RMs, is you spend an entire day doing 1RMs. So you go into the weight room and say, okay, we're going to max a squat. All right, that's fine. But what else are you accomplishing that day? You know, you get the person's legs really tired. You know, they're going to be neurologically fatigued. And it's like, hey, you did one exercise today. That's great. You, achieve, you got a number. 
again, is how num how accurate is that number going to be next week? Well, isn't no, that like the sport coach? I mean, uh, like, I yeah, I mean, that's the balance with the sport coach. Who, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, which is crazy for me because uh, usually football coaches are the least knowledgeable humans about anything other than maybe X's and O's. I mean, they usually have terrible family lives. I mean, you just saw uh, Lovey Smith's son just got arrested. Who's He's, he's my that. age. He got arrested for uh, sex trafficking. And, uh, I mean, so, like, the amount of problems these coaches have, and I'm going from football coaches because that's my experience, uh, the fact that these guys dip their toe into the weight room and start making these requests is fucking beyond me. And I'm like, dude, uh, it's not like strength coaches walk in there and be like, hey, I think you guys should run the, uh, you know, power and inside, uh, inside zone. So it's always amazing when, and, and I, I guess the strength coach's job is to acquiesce to the sport coach to some extent. But I'm always amazed at how much these guys are so interested in they are in like these arbitrary numbers. Two quick things. One funny story from Ed Costner, who three XL stout rugby former rugby player, He's also rugby the, strength yeah. coach, and for the San Antonio Spurs, yeah, San where the story Spurs. comes in, is a sport coach that was new to the program and had been there for a while comes in and starts asking him to do things for athletes on the Spurs. And then Ed was like, okay. Then the next time they had a practice in sport, Ed comes into the huddle with a clipboard and starts telling them what plays to do. And the coach had a word with him, and he, he just used that as an example to teach him a lesson that this is his job. He, you know, he's, he's athlete first coach. And then second, how do we now empower high school coaches to stop doing 1RMs? I personally have seen careers ended from injuries from 1RMs that coaches demand, and they still don't get it here from 20 years after my high school career. Like, they're still doing this stupid stuff. How do we now as coaches and professionals in a power position empower high school coaches, teachers, parents to protect these youth athletes from the glorious 1RM? I, I really think it just comes down to coach education, and that may be a, a, a Band-Aid of a response, but at the same time, I, I think especially at the high school level, coaches just don't know any better because they're basing it off of what did I do as an athlete? Um, I, it's always, it happens every year come, come springtime in high school. It's always probably April and May, all the videos on social media start to come out. Our, our athlete, you know, there's a freshman and he cleaned 300 pounds. And of course, anytime I hear that, I'm like, well, what did it look like? Oh, and they're usually awful. Like I see oh, them and, and we cringe. We're like, Oh, we should get a, we should lobby to get a group of people to, to report that as abusive content on social media well what do you think or we could just keep it and start using it as like instagram fails mm. but then we would be, but then <laughs> like we the quarter would be, squat gang then we would be well yeah he got banned for bullying did he really yeah what a sad can't we just bust balls on fuck no it hurts people's feelings Come now on. we the cobra kai generation is ended <laughs> i'm telling you the cobra kai generation is ended oh it's a sad day yeah you can't i, I mean you know there's there's some that i have seen that I actually, I use, I use screenshots of these videos as examples of what not to do. Mm -hmm. So there was one in particular that there was a coach spotting a clean in front of the athlete. Ooh, so, rarely seen in the wild. Rarely seen in the wild. I mean, this was unicorn. This was like sparkle unicorn. So to the point where you watch the athlete set up, 
what's the first thing that happens? When they lift the bar off, off the floor, now we got a camel, okay? Camel off the floor and the coach is standing there and as the athlete starts to pull, short the pull naturally just to drop under. Um, limbs going every which way, but the coach then puts his foot in between where the athlete is jumping from and you know going down in their squat, grabs the bar to help them in the bottom position. And I said, okay, let's think about this. Now the bar is over his femur at this point. The guy's knee is basically in the chest of the athlete. So let's say the athlete fails. That guy's femur is done with any significant weight. I don't know about you, I'd rather not have a 200 plus barbell land on me, period. I'd rather not have it land on my leg either. So, but of course, same story. You have this one athlete, the coach, and the entire team around them cheering them on as they do this because he, he stood up with it with the coach's help. So something like this, it just has to stop. I just, yeah. you know, the, the question is, how do we do it? Again, it, you need to get better education at the high school level. My wife is a, uh, is a strength and conditioning coach at an all-girls high school. And I promise you, none of that will happen at that high school. Um, we actually, so she works at a high school where, um, if, whether you know the name or not, Brian Calhoun, former running back of the Wisconsin Badgers, is the other strength coach who's there. And they are so well educated on things within the field that there's nothing like that will ever happen. And we continue to bring those type of people to our state clinics for, um, for NSCA. I'm also the state director for the NSCA. So we get speakers like that to come in and educate coaches. But the other thing that we want to do is more clinics for these high school coaches to say, this is why, we, why this may be a bad idea. Because my, my question to them is always, what are you going to use that for? Well, we want to see that they, we want to see what their max strength level is. I'm like, okay, estimate. Estimate from what they're doing in training. You do not have to do a one RM to figure that out. If you think about, you know, you, uh, you mentioned using the tendo unit, okay? We know what a theoretical one RM velocity is based on the work from Brian Mann and several other people. If you, if you have a velocity of a squat or something and the velocity is on average 0 0.2, 0 0.3 meters a second, that's probably a 1RM. It's not going to move any faster than that. So if that's the case, estimate. Okay? You don't need to do a 1RM, especially with complex movements like cleans or snatches, because there, I've seen other ones where the guy will clean it, he'll miss it, and it'll land on his legs as he's going into a squat. And you talk about career enders. Have you seen what the backs of some of these athletes probably look like later on? It's I a mess. I remember my favorite one I saw on Instagram was a high school coach and the kid was deadlifting. And as soon as he pulls the bar, he pulls it off the front of his feet. So like the legs straighten, he gets into like the weird fucking camel like position and his back's totally rounded. The football coach or strength coach, whoever it was, pushes on his forehead. So the kid's head was here, pushes the head back. So it's like, fucking craning back like a like almost like a stork and is actually pushing the kid up 
by his forehead as the kid's head is going back. Count it. And he somehow, like the bar's four inches off of his shins, legs are straight, back's rounded, and the fucking neck is basically pinned back like a, like a bent uh, paper clip. And he pushes the kid back up, and like everybody's cheering, and I'm thinking to myself, in what universe would any, like, shit like that happens, I get it. But to have the balls to post it, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm like, who thought, like, fucking count it. Let's yeah. post that shit up. This is a win. Like, it, it, I mean, I'm sure that when we were training, there was a lot of ugly shit. Thank God we never, one, we never took any video, never took any pictures, because we were probably too embarrassed to be able to show it. You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the -the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic, who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars episodes one through three. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. I mean, I mean, you think you, this is this is the problem with strength and conditioning in terms of things like certifications. Right now, at the high school level, there really isn't much of a certification that's needed. Um, now, that has changed a little bit with now the National High School Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, I think they do a really good job at uh, you know educating coaches and know a know a number of those people who are involved. Um, but if you think about the collegiate level or after. We, you know, we are required to quote have a certification that's related to the field. So you can get. We had the issue out in Oregon a while ago, where all those all those athletes went to the hospital because the the design of the conditioning workout or whatever it was 
that's a whole nother story. So we won't go down that road. Um, but the, uh, sent all these guys to the hospital because the, the workout that was designed was freaking awful. I mean, it was meant to give athletes rhabdo. So if we're, when we're talking about life and death situations, if it looks like somebody could probably pass out from doing that, or if they're going to exert themselves to the point where they might, I, I hate to say it, die, you know, mantra in life, don't do that. I mean, you know, I think there was a while ago um, at the University of Iowa, even, they did a workout where it was X number of 100-yard sprints, and then they had to do, you know, sets of 10 of squats on either side, run back, do it all over again. I mean, in what world does that, what are you trying to achieve? Mental toughness? You want to see how mentally tough someone is? Have them do five sets of 10 with 70% on their back for a back squat. That's mental toughness. No, I just think these kids are weak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, John's got a hot take on it. Yeah. He thinks that they just showed up out of shape and hung over. Yeah, no, I it's mean, uh, the workout the Iowa guys did, I mean, we ended up uh, seeing it, and we did it at our gym. And uh, I had 135-pound uh, women doing it with no problem. It was like pr mm. prowler pushes and what I think what happened was those guys came back from winter conditioning. Their coaches said, hey, here's the program. Uh, we're going to test it the first day. We got this workout. Nobody did it. Everybody drank. They probably came in hungover. And uh, instead of the coaches being like, hey, you know what? These kids aren't ready to do this. They fucking threw them into the fire, and a bunch yeah. of these kids got rabbit. Teach them a lesson. Yeah, teach them a lesson, which I only know because that happened to us. We showed up out of shape, and we got fucking murdered with mattrails. And people were throwing up, and I'm, you know, back then we just... Like, like now I think it's funny to like, oh, you know, you got rhabdo if your pee's really dark. I'm like, oh, like every single day of winter conditioning where it looked like you were pissing root beer. You know, so I'm pretty sure we gave ourselves rhabdo numerous times. So like, oh, extreme muscle soreness where you couldn't, you know, like all the key factors. We just nobody it was never diagnosed. But I think uh, um, as a as a parent, it's pretty interesting. I think that, um, you know, like. Like I said, I don't believe football coaches to be the most intelligent of human beings. So the problem as a parent is that you have to safeguard your child against these guys. So my whole deal was I never showed up out of shape. Like I knew like, hey, we were going to get into some bad shit we, and I was going to get hurt or I was going to you know, get sick or something was going to happen if unless I prepared. So we never showed up out of shape and it was never an issue. But I used to constantly see guys show up out of shape and they would get hurt. Bad things would happen. And, um, you know, just because I knew that those guys weren't going to self-regulate or they weren't going to take it easy. Now, today's in kind of a different market with social media and social justice warriors at every fucking turn that, you know, maybe now there's a little bit more forethought into it. But, you know, back uh, pre-social media shit, that didn't exist. It was you against these coaches and I wasn't going to die. You know, I, I mean, I usually assume after a break that my athletes did nothing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, that, just that's usually keep, pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just to keep them just to keep them safe. Because, you know, all of us can design a workout that is designed to run people into the ground, but it doesn't make sense to do it, you know, just to prove a point. Yeah. No, you I know? mean, but, but that's the deal. Like, I mean, you are actually being like living in reality where you're like, hey, I gave them these workouts. We knew we told them to train. We told them all this. But they're a bunch of 18 to 22-year-old kids. Yep. They're not going to fucking yeah, have buy done down anything. The risk. So then I'm going to buy down the risk and put them in and, and not come in and curb stomp them that first day. Yeah. Uh, I do get a fun story on this, and coach is still there, but Georgetown University, 2012, and it was my first semester there. Coach Warren, who's the sport coach for men's lacrosse, takes over, and Coach Sean Foster, who's at American University now, is the, the head of men's lacrosse, and I'm assistant Sean. 
and the coach needed a culture change. So Georgetown lacrosse pre-2012, they were winning, but at the same time it was party school and you had maybe 45 kids on the team that a lot of bad eggs. So while they were successful, they brought in Warren specifically from University of Maryland to change the culture of the program. And so this first six weeks that we had these guys, it's, a, uh, it's fall, training for a spring sport, he needed 50% of the team to quit. And so it was on Sean and I to balance this. Uh, and I, I was like new. I'm like just saying yes to everything versus taking a stand because, hell, new opportunity, new program. And the exorcist steps, those are familiar with Georgetown University, there's these steps right outside. They call them the exorcist steps because in the movie, the exorcist, it's the, the priest is thrown out of a window hits these steps and it's this long way down maybe 200 steps it's like it's 50 feet it's it's a lot anyway so basically three times a week we show up at the steps and then just run these kids and as they started to quit like you have rest time when there's kids in front of you this line keeps <laughs> getting shorter and shorter but it, we're still on at 6 a.m for the hour and at, at the top we do i had them do dead bugs and different trunk stuff to try to my damnedest to mitigate the damage. So did isometrics to help prevent, but then as soon as like their time was up, they're heading right, running right, right back down the stairs. And it was just hilarious to see all the, the team dwindle down until you had your, your core team. And they ended up winning the Big East that year. So like dramatic shift in culture and that needed to happen when we use steps and mm -hmm. freaking dead bugs and pillars to aim to change the culture but and and he did a lot of stuff with the um but that was a, an example of strength and conditioning with the objective of culture change and finding out who kids were not developmental toughness but just to get find, rid of assholes to get rid of assholes find out who kids were and uh yeah warren did a great job on the sports side of things and changing that culture and they're he's still there and they're still winning the big east so it was Ultimately, that first six weeks, it was a rude awakening for a lot of people, including myself as a coach. So what, what could you have done differently, do you think? Um, Let's say you, you were more um, uh, senior, and this came across your desk. Well, the, I would have changed the weight room. So what he also wanted and what Sean did is Sean had a program where he had the freshmen. So you had these kids, and lacrosse is not a weightlifting sport. So the kids that were coming in to this level, this school, they only played lacrosse, not football with weight training experience. This is their first exposure to the weight room. So Sean had it broken up where, okay, here's the freshman core team. And then I would take those guys and basically teach them basic barbell, some bedrock stuff. And then Sean would manage sophomore, juniors, and seniors that he had. But then Warren didn't want that. He wanted all team lifting together. So then it forced experienced seniors with the barbell to then okay now you got this freshman wiener kid and they don't understand they don't have time so kid is forced to do their barbell work mm -hmm. so that was that would be the only thing i would change the other i mean conditioning side of things purpose of conditioning that fall because we're not getting shape for sport was mm -hmm. kick assholes out um but change the weight room but i mean that would have been the fight or the stand that I took, but right. Yeah. I mean, the, the purpose was accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say that came across your desk, Tim, like, Hey, we got to, we need to thin the herd. We need some gnarly training. 
like you're saying five by tens at 70 or something like that. What, what type of tools could you use that are, that would have significantly lower risk, but high kind of, um, you know, emotional and mental threshold, uh, to, to get through it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it, as you mentioned, is, uh, is totally relevant. Um, I, I have to, I always have to take a step back and think about this because, you know, you get the coaches that say, well, I want to, you know, I want to build a culture. I want to do this. We want to weed people out and everything. Um, you know, I hate using exercise as a punishment for certain things, but, you know, you end up finding out kind of what people are made of when we're, when we're doing repeat sprints. Um, but at the same time, putting them at a volume and a length that is manageable. My job is not to, not to make people throw up from doing sprints. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, you can alter it even by just a rest period, you know, instead of just doing continuous work, it ends up being a rest period. There's that old, an old movie, I think it's called wildcats where you had the, the female football coach, uh, Goldie Hawn, Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Yep. So she ends up having the, uh, the background and, you know, running marathons and to prove her point she you know she'd be like you'll play for me if you you know i don't you don't have to have me as a coach if i if i beat you in this i'm not going to say that i'm going to go and compete with my athletes and do this but you have those different strategies and you challenge them and say well here's your standard you know we need to be above this standard i know for us uh what we do with the um the men's soccer team here is we have a specific standard for the yo-yo test and those that fall short of the yo-yo test, you know, they kind of get put on the, you know, kind of the JV squad for lack of a better term. Um, but the varsity, you, you always get the, you always get the other ones, the varsity guys who are going to start and everything. They'll run to the standard and then stop because then you start getting the freshmen who feel like they have something to prove. So then they just keep going. But what they don't necessarily realize is either the next day or the day after they're going to have a pretty hard workout. So we use it as kind of a base to build to something else. So here's your standard. Are you going to meet it? Are you not? That'll start to weed people out. But then, um, so something like a conditioning test where you had like the yo-yo, you can figure out who wants to be there or who doesn't and kind of their abilities at the same time. What if you like worked in, it's probably against NCAs or I guess. What fire? No, I'm thinking like. Set them on fire. No, like like almost like um like social outreach participation or like like going out and giving back to the community because then you would like that. yeah and if you don't show up there like is but then you how do you punish that you don't want to like you why said Tim you, you go to the team uh, like like if, if you wanted those guys to quit why wouldn't you go tell them be like here's the deal um you're not the type of person you want around here you can quit if you come if you decide you don't want to quit we're gonna make it really ugly for you. Like, I always think, like, a lot of people, like, that would have worked. I mean, because I, I had a similar deal in college where they brought in a new strength coach. They brought in Todd Rice. And, you know, they had to change the culture. They had to get rid of these guys. Mm-hmm. And it would have been easier. A lot of them, like, I know you just want your scholarship. We'll just keep, we'll give you your scholarship. Just fucking leave. But maybe if you put, if you feel confident in your test or, you know, the, the, the um, tumultuous path you're laying out for them, maybe some diamonds in the rough present themselves or people change or and they become valuable asset to the team maybe, or maybe not. And maybe assholes sneak through. Yeah. Or new coach mm-hmm. taking over. Yeah. So maybe the, the film or the stats that he had from the team 
that coaching that regime coach. didn't give a kid an opportunity or there was some they didn't like him during practice so didn't play him so what's on the, the stat sheet necessarily isn't representative of who a kid is i don't know i mean i we we hear that with uh you know you were, we were talking about football coaches earlier you know a lot of coaches may have certain standards that they're athlete, of their athletes in the weight room well you know, I'm sure some of you have heard about the, like the thousand pound club, like that type of thing between a, a squat, a bench and a, and a power clean. Well, here's the thing is if you have an offensive lineman, offensive lineman, defensive lineman who is able to move that weight and get to a thousand pounds exactly, that's not nearly as impressive as someone who is considerably lighter getting to that. So in my opinion, that standard doesn't make any sense because it's an arbitrary value. Just as an example here, I'm, I'm at a, D, a small D3 school. There are, um, there are athletes that are uh, considerably bigger than me and should be out squatting me by a lot. But we also get a lot of developmental athletes here. So I'm not saying that if you can't squat more than me, then you shouldn't be an athlete. But at the same time, you know, if I see an offensive lineman squatting what I can squat for a similar repetitions, they need to work on something, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm probably I'm 10 plus years older than they are, too. So call that experience, call it longer time to gain strength and everything. But, you know, I'm, I'm five, six and a half. I'm nothing. I'm, you know, five, six and a half and maybe 69 kilos. I'm not a big guy. But at the same time, if I'm squatting as much as an offensive lineman, that's a problem. Not for me. That's great. <laughs> I also think, you know, with that benchmark stuff. My high school, 500-pound deadlift, 400-pound squat, 300-pound uh -huh. bench press, 250-pound clean to make our uh, whatever the our fucking lifting club was. I think ours was just Which is crazy. squat and bench. Because now I think about it, how many people I know that actually can deadlift 500 and squat 400. Mm-hmm. Uh, in high school, there was a bunch of dudes. Now it's like, mm, it's yeah, rare, rare. I like why I'm always curious. And maybe this is just like getting too nuanced and there's fault, like there's gaming the system. But rather than like, like you said, this arbitrary absolute, I'd be more interested in like the longitudinal delta, right? Like over time, what are the changes in things that are more the expression of the training, sprinting? jumping potentially throwing um things like that and if you could somehow figure out how to not get the kids to game it you know what i mean and then observe the increases in that or lack thereof you know it'd be interesting to see a kid who's put 150 pounds on a squat but hasn't translated that to a broad jump or reverse ball toss or something like that like that yep. that to me is a huge warning sign or you could even put it in like the competitive space I'm thinking in football because that's my experience. But like, what was that? Um, like bulls and steers. Like, let's say you observe a kid get significantly stronger, uh, but his pass blocking just he's still getting worked in bulls and steers or something like that. Like the one on one, um, you know, pass rush drill or like Oklahoma, one of our favorites, things like I that. I think they outlawed all that. I know, but you know what I mean. Then um, what was the other one? A bull in the ring. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Where everybody stands and they just call a number, and then the guy fucking <laughs> runs and tries to kill him. Yeah, 
awesome. Yeah, I remember that one. But I mean, okay, so those are like the most extreme version of that, but some sort of like application and, and expression of the, the training that you're going after versus like, okay, we're going to get this 1RM matrix going. Even if it's calculated in a little more like uh, prudent approach, still the, like one thing that was one of my favorite lines when we would do the seminar, John, was, you know, when you get, like, if you're, con- if you're a football player, you're supposed to contain um, the corner and you get burned. No one's like, ah, well, he's got a 315-pound bench. Like, yeah. no one gives a shit. You either make the play or you don't. Like, that's, that's what matters. And the training should facilitate that. But yeah, I, guess- I mean, there's, there's, there's those weight room warriors that end up, that end up, are, end up being beasts in the weight room. And we love to see it. But, again, if that doesn't translate to the field, to the court, whatever, who cares? Yeah, man. So maybe we should maybe we should think that through. That'd be a fun, like, a fun blog post. Because I remember talking about that a little bit with Dan John. Right? Was it him or? I just remember you talking about going to weddings in Ireland with Dan John. That's all I remember. No, that about. was was that me? No, it was McCulkin who wanted to go as a state. I mean, for a I'd wedding. go. I'd yeah. Why not? Was not their yeah. deal that they go to like weddings for people? That's kind of their vacation. They like going to random weddings. Well, that's <laughs> that's where he writes his books. They go and. Vacay in Ireland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, John, if you were a social butterfly like me and Dan John, you'd just get invited to random weddings in Ireland. Oh, well, that was... You do get invited to random weddings. That's right, I do. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was St. Patrick's Day. Um, but the sport coaches, they just still see the weight room. They see it as this number that they could put on the board. So if it is as simple as connecting one barbell lift so give them the barbell lift but then the bread and butter would be reverse ball toss or something Mm -hmm. so it'd be translating and creating the value between the two that if they're only focusing on one without the expression whatever that may be so maybe we do just whip together and create this little test and give it to our football coaches to um uh so Veloc- or um, sorry, uh, force plates came out, which was a huge kind of milestone within the being able to measure all these, uh, you know, everything that you wanted to measure. And especially for uh, what you're doing, the force plates were huge. Uh, the velocity based training, when all of a sudden now you add everything from the, you know, tendo unit to the, uh, you know, push bands and now, you know, rep one and other, you know, kind of like people using accelerometers versus cables like that was another big jump. What do you foresee to be like the next big thing? Oh boy, um, you know, there's there's obviously some technology out there that um, allows you to, I think it's Elite Form. Um, elite Form allows you to basically have a camera on you, and it's used very similar to similarly kind of like a, an Xbox or something like that, where it, it'll track your motion and then give you certain values when it comes to that. But in addition to that. I've seen some pieces that'll look at, it's actually kind of like a, a suit or whatever that you wear that is able to supposedly measure muscle activation during certain movements. So, you know, you, as you can imagine, this thing probably, you know, they paint on uh, what looks like this just chiseled body or whatever, and then you have, you know, different um, muscles, low, you know, uh, lined up in certain places. That's one thing maybe, um, but, I think the hard thing is uh, getting the motion um, captured as well. So we have 3D motion capture, which is great. 
but again, those are they're costly, they're expensive, um, and uh, they're hard to move around and you know set up and everything too. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see a little bit more of the motion analysis actually being done in the weight room and then relating that back to things like VBT, because you know we're highlighting these issues with VBT in the sense of okay, yes, you moved faster, but what did you look like while you did it? So you need a qualitative component to supplement the qualitative, or sorry, the quantitative component. Mm -hmm. That'd be that'd be one thing, um, but uh, it's tough. I mean, you're getting to the point right now where you have force plates in a squat rack. You know, you have a camera on you to track barbell velocity. You have tendo units or gym awares or whatever to track barbell velocity. But the issue that I continue to see, and I mentioned this before, is that the more technology that gets in there, we start to eliminate what, you know, the coaching eye. You know, nothing should replace the coaching eye. We still need to coach. You know, we still need to adjust training loads. We still need to correct technique. But it's almost getting towards the point where, you know, if we continue to push this 10, 20 years down the road, we're going to get to a point and say, oh, yeah, the whatever will correct their technique by by itself. Well, can it and will it be done correctly? Because otherwise we'll get uh, we'll get something where if something's not validated correctly, it'll say, yeah, you did that power clean correctly. But as we were talking about, who knows what it actually looked like? Mm -hmm. And I think it's getting tripped up in using this like the data become like that becomes the scoreboard versus just an insight. So yep. it's, it's really like, it's the coach's relationship with the output of the tech. If you, you know, and how much it's commanding your coaching versus maybe just being like uh, a slight insight to inform a change uh, down the road. I it should supplement what we are doing as coaches. That's, that's what it should be used for. You know, we, you know, based on theory and our education and everything, we should, you know, we generally have an idea what, you know, a three by five at, you know, 80% or whatever, we have a general idea of what that should look like. If it doesn't look like that, then we as coaches should be able to make corrections in technique, modify the load, et cetera. But what, you know, VBT does or anything else like that, it gives us a number to show, are we seeing what we think we see, or is someone just able to perform this, but they modified their technique a little bit. So that's kind of where I see all of this technology is it should supplement our coaching. It shouldn't dictate necessarily our coaching. Mm -hmm. Where can a lot of this stuff be used for like general pop? Do, do you do any, like, is there, is there any research in that space in terms of, you know, like where, how the whoop band's kind of being pushed out to just the enthusiast uh, to inform their training? And I think that the difference there is there's not really a, like a high level of coaching on these individuals. You know what I mean? They're kind yeah. of on their own in their garage. You know, I, I got a text. Um, like, what are the risks on something like that? I mean, you know, anytime you don't have a coach or a good coach, then you're then you're you're risking injury. You're risking a, a number of a number of things. But um, 
the biggest thing that we can provide athletes general population is structure. So if we give them structure and then we're able to provide them with an, a, an appropriate overload, then they're probably going to get better. Um, but at the same time, we can use some of that technology as a guide for those people. You know, Fitbits are great in the sense that, okay, I need you to get X number of steps. Okay. We know that we can track that, you know, any pedometer can really do that. But now it's also the technology that is that constant reminder. I mean, I, I get it all the time when I sit for a while and at my computer, all right, it's 10 to whatever you need X number of steps go. Um, but the next step with that type of technology is at what intensity do you want me to do these steps at? So you're seeing a lot more of these fitness apps that are starting to come out, which can benefit general population because they're available to more people. Um, but the coaching side of it is lacking. Um, now, they're, they're, don't get me wrong, there's some companies like uh, Renaissance Periodization, for example, that do a lot of digital coaching, um, whether it's from a diet standpoint, whether it's from an actual lifting standpoint, uh, program design, et cetera. But not every program is going to be you know, as, or I should say, not even, not every company or app is going to so be do, do um, the, the best for each individual. Coaching, so um, there's good, uh, there's bad, but that's the, that's the nature of the beast in our, our field. Uh, our app train heroic. And that's when we, when people will come into our little funnel or take our questionnaire and then they want to know, Hey man, you know, you guys got 11 different programs, which one's right for me. There's this questionnaire process to determine whether or not they're going to be using this as let's say a training plan for, to facilitate either them playing sports or their career, if they're military, law enforcement, things like that. And then at the end of the day, if they're like, I just need, like, I like to get sweaty. I try to match up or we'll walk, talk them through matching up. What, what are they going to get the most compliance on? Because at the end of the day, we're within, well within the guardrails right. for, uh, for a healthy and relatively like intermediate type of exerciser or athlete. So then it just becomes... What's going to make you happy, pal? Hey, you know, like what's going to get you out of bed and fire you up? And then uh, we tend to point them that way. And it's been pretty successful uh, selection criteria for those folks. And then it's always interesting finding folks who will, um, you know, whether they're fire, military, you know, and, and probably have performance deficits or they're, they're going into selection and they know their deficits. And you're like, okay, well, based they're not they're looking for validation to just go like light their shit on fire every fucking day you know what i mean versus hey what is actually best for me and it's interesting to crack into that psychographic uh and try to get them in the appropriate type of training paradigm you know and typically they they come from like kind of a crossfit-ish background or uh or endurance like high like high exposure to endurance type stuff we just can't crack that code for them and I'm curious if they're like, will we get into a space where maybe some of these wearables can identify the individualized limiting factors for people who might be training on their own in a meaningful way? It's, it's possible. It's possible. But, you know, any, anything with technology yeah. is going to be possible. It's just a matter of how accurate and everything it's going to be. Man, that'll be an interesting world. We're like... Imagine that we all had our own, what would it be like? I'm thinking like, what if you could just. Well, it sounds like the skin suit is the future. So you strap on your skin suit and it tells you like, 
go do these things. And then it'll tell you where these movements don't have well, adequate. Perform, perform your vertical jump. Uh-huh. Basically, I envision this based off nothing. All right, so Tim. let's walk through it. Boom, I line up. Boom, pop. I get perform my 38, 39-inch vert. <laughs> <laughs> 3.9-inch <laughs> vert in your, your skin suit. Yep. And all of the force plate data that we have can now be uploaded into the suit to tell you Okay, you're a, you're a stiff bro, your mm-hmm. ankles, blah, blah, blah. Today you're going to do this, but you have to determine the personal goal first for then the limiting factors to be applied, right? I don't know. Um. There, there's so many variables. There's so many variables with that because, you know, I envision, like you said, that there's probably, you know, however long it takes, a suit you do a vertical jump. That sucked. You need to do this. So, you know, it's it's possible that we could get to that point, but again, it's hard to say that we can do that with by eliminating all the coaching that can go into that. Because if, if the suit or whatever says you need to squat more, well, what is what is what is the person's squat gonna look like? Or is the suit also going to tell them, get lower? You know. Keep your chest up. Mm-hmm. Do That's better. My suck less. My suit's just you know, like, don't that do that. Type of that thing. Bad, but do it better. Yeah. Great coaching. <laughs> Tim, I do have a question on coaching of the future, and you're in a position to educate the future coaches of America. In probably the past 20 years where CrossFit is, maybe it's less than that, but let's just say 15, 10 to 15 years. CrossFit's been around since like 73. I don't know, John, but I, I will need your opinion on this one, John. So there was value in coaching, but the education of coaches, they skipped over the, the basic biology and everything that was going on inside the body and relied on this, what's known in the industry as a black box theory. Just all this stuff is happening, magic, and on the other end is your fitness and progress. So that, I feel, personally set the industry back because they didn't value this base level of knowledge, this education of the body, to then become a coach. The, the barrier of entry in the industry was lowered where you didn't have to go take the CSCS. You just went to a certification and got your permission to then get people fit versus understanding what's going on to the body and then being in a position to learn. So is are we going to see a, fl- a slide back into the a higher barrier of entry to become a coach or fitness professional, in your opinion? I think we have to. We, uh, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day, is that there's just no standards that are, you know, she, she's an athletic trainer by trade. You have to sit for a board exam. You must be licensed. To tape ankles. You know, we have a lot of physical therapy students here as well. Yeah, yeah, they have to be, they have to be licensed. Um, you know, medical professionals, they have to be, uh, they have their board exams as well. So there's nothing like that in strength and conditioning. You know, if you, even if you look at certification exams, certification exams, you know, for the CSCS, it's all in front of a computer versus, you know, you go to UKSCA or ASCA, you have to physically go and demonstrate these things and also provide certain levels of programming to show I can not only perform these things, I, can, I not only can coach these things, I can apply these things in an appropriate manner. 
one of the things I have all of my uh, grad students do is they all go up in front of the class and they present a block of training. So four weeks of training. I said, you can have the exact same exercises throughout the entire thing, but you need to be able to provide me with the why behind every single exercise that you prescribe. And then I'm gonna ask you, can you demo each of those exercises appropriately? Can you demo them? Because if you can't, you probably shouldn't be prescribing them because monkey see, monkey do. So in addition to that, um, how, how are you going to progress their loads? What are you using for the loading? So, but all, the why behind it is, okay, there, you get people to say, okay, I wanna do a power clean. Well, why do you wanna do a power clean? Well, in football, you do power cleans. Why? You still haven't answered my question. So they're like, well, they train power. Okay, we're starting to get somewhere, but can you train power doing other things? Well, yeah. Well, okay, so why do we have to do a power clean? So it needs to be, a, there needs to be a deeper understanding of not only the physiology, but the yeah, why but, behind what we're doing. Because the common phrase is, there's many ways to skin a cat. You know, again, I love weightlifting movements, but I can do a lot with jumping movements as well. We look at varying the stimulus um, with individuals. Maybe I want something slightly faster. Maybe I want something that's less complex in terms of technique. Maybe I, you know, maybe I don't want them to land as much. So, you know, there's all these different variables uh, that you can incorporate. You know, think about all the different squatting variations. Think yeah, the, about all the deadlift uh, variations. I always kind of made it pretty simple. I always thought that power was your ability to display your strength dynamically. And uh, once I explained it like that, people all of a sudden understand like, hey, if you can't display your strength dynamically, you're not going to be able to play sport. So you have to have movements that allow you to not only display your strength dynamically, but, you know, proficiency, how to do it, different planes of motion. And when you get, when I went back and started looking at like how people were developing this stuff and, um, you know, I came in college, uh, we had a, a very, very, uh, Oli centric deal of snatch, clean, jerk and front squats and, uh, you know, as probably as pure an Olympic lifting program as you can find. And what I found was that when I got to the NFL, uh, most people didn't know how to Olympic lift and never had. And so I remember thinking like, you know, this is the barrier. This is how you develop athleticism. This is kind of the, uh, the panacea for it. And then I got to the NFL and nobody fucking did it. And I remember thinking like, okay, so it and worked for me. Those guys are pretty athletic. Yeah, or? they're pretty athletic. <laughs> so I, I also came to the conclusion that I thought uh, Olympic lifting was a really shitty way to develop athleticism. It was great. If you were already athletic, you could display it. And, uh, you know, these guys are really athletic when you watch people Olympic lift. But I watched people that were poor athletes learn to Olympic lift and not improve their ability to move in space. And so there became some really interesting questions and observations on this and being like, uh, I know you guys, and we saw this with the CrossFit deal where, you know, the marker for athleticism was Olympic lifting. And I'm like, I'm telling you, it's not like there's other ways to do it. I watch guys use med balls. I use, you know, jumps and you're talking about all these other different ways. There's a lot more than just snatch, clean and jerk in this kind of deal. But the problem is, is are people proficient? Do they have the knowledge? Do they know how to apply it? And more importantly, do they have to see the holes in the, you know, or, you know, where the lug nuts are and do they know how to tighten them? And so that becomes like the element of coaching. Whereas I think something like CrossFit just gives you a template and tells you it's magic if you use it and then just sets people on because people buy into magic a lot more than they buy into science. Here's a hot take though. Did the era of the weekend seminar also prove that it doesn't have to be that complicated? Like it can be, and there's importance for guys like Tim to, to 
I think I used the term guardrails earlier to like establish these guardrails and sort of best practices. But if you can make a connection with an athlete or a client, I'll delineate those athlete being in the weight room, client being in like a fitness studio or commercial gym or online or online. I mean, you can get people better. But what are they doing? I mean, are we talking about fitness or are we talking about performance? That, so, and that was going to be a sub-question. Uh, like we can get people Softball. really fit. We can get people really fit doing a Peloton bike. Point. Right? Exactly. Right? So, like, like, do we need to get licensing and to ride credentials a to ride a, a fucking stationary bike and no. do some burpees? Uh, that's fitness. But, like, if you start talking about performance... I'm with you. Where now, all of a sudden, you're taking in the application, they need to know a little bit more than fucking 3, 2, 1, go. Mm-hmm. Tim, hot take? So the, uh, I'm just I, I tried my right now. to find um, the specific workout from the Oregon strength coach. I couldn't, but found the, the history. So it was three athletes that ended up during the hospital. IO, it was 13 and there was a previous women's team. I'd, I'd close the tab, but 20 some odd athletes that all from a female team that went and had Rabto. Mm-hmm. So it was these three instances that really, I guess, made aware. Yeah. Of the like this inflection the point in the collegiate public. strength and conditioning. Yes, the general yeah. public for now. Oh crap! Plus, there's a lot of individuals that died mm-hmm. from high school and college from abuse of workout and training. Mm-hmm. Did that Oregon guy kill kill a dude? No, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. How? Uh, what were the details? Maryland. Of that? Was it like uh, the kid had pre-existing condition or? Yeah, I don't remember. It was issue. in the Washington Post, but. So, Sorry, I interrupted Tim. No, no, no. I, I, I was just echoing the Maryland thing. Um, yeah, I think I think the level of education certainly needs to be uh, revisited, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, I'm not saying that every single strength coach needs a master's degree or anything like that. But I, what I am saying is the quality of our certifications regardless of the organization needs to continue to improve because you can get you. I I hate to say it this way. I have a CSCS. I took it 10 years ago. I'm sure it's changed dramatically since I took it, but I know a number of people who can sit for that exam, take it because they're book smart and they can pass it. But at the same time, if I put them on the floor working with athletes, they may not perform well. And, and, and to and a the point where we are that, risking though, with like somebody the credentialing hurt. process and the accreditation <laughs> process, yeah. it's such an administrative, inexpensive overhaul to refine that credentialing that you like. The, once you get it done the first time, I imagine it's like we're fuck, we're good. We, I like, don't want to hire another psychometrician. Yeah, right, right. So that's what's interesting on that stuff too. Is like the, 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 it's trying to be this catch-all and the. Well, and, and to be clear, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of really good people who are CSCS as well. Um, you know, but I, I also, I think, I really think most certifications, actually all certifications need to have an in-person practical component, or at least if they are taking it at a computer to be able to have a live stream, hey, I'm going to demo this and show you how I'm going to implement it. Um, you know, and I'm not picking on the CSCS. Again, I have it. I value the credential and everything. Um, but, you know, CSCCA has different standards. UKSCA has different standards. ASCA has different standards. 
all these different certifications, there's no uniform level of education that every single person has to have. So and in my opinion, process that is in a itself, problem. where Luke was highlighting the certification process, they have to be removed from the education. So you can't test specifically towards education. And John mentioned the psychometrician. You're taking all of the best practice data and finding how much people value nutrition, strength, organization of your facility, and then taking that best practice data to then formulate these specific questions that tick a box of your comprehension or understanding to then be deemed you're ready to be a certified professional. Mm -hmm. So we ran into a lot of these issues, especially in my observations coming through the, the ranks in the industry that then we, as, as a mobile educator, we don't have to separate ourselves from the certification. We can challenge and test the coaches with our education specifically. And Tim, we do have an in-person test and evaluate in the most differentiating concept of our education process is we give our coaches feedback for their coaching versus testing and then pass, pass fail. No, here's where we failed. And we also test the social intelligence of them because their livelihood is their ability to communicate to their athletes, the parents, and then sell themselves as practitioners and facilitators to do this stuff. Because if they can't convince the high school coach that one RMs, Gotcha. Our potential risk of injury and then changing this kid's life, then they're in trouble and they can't be the professional. So mm -hmm. awesome. Tim, any any other things you want to highlight your deep diving and research or things to send off on? Oh, um, one thing that I'm really excited about is a project that we just started. So I mentioned the 10-week the training study, catching versus pulling with weightlifting movements. But one thing that we've, the kind of the step beyond that, well, those studies are obviously important. Um, now people are seeing that, you know, you don't always have to catch a bar. You can pull a bar and get similar or greater benefits depending on how you load it. But um, what, I, what I don't want people to do is see that <laughs> literature and say, oh, so we never have to catch again. That's not what the, that's not what it says. It says you can do this, but you can also find that gray area and get the same adaptations by doing one or the other. So actually what we're doing is for those that kind of take the extreme, but also for um, those that don't take the extreme, is we are trying to find different ways of programming loads not based off of a one RM catch for pulling variations. So we're having them perform these movements on a force plate with velocity bands, um, using um, you know percentages of body weight, using percentages of back squat. So we wanna be able to, pr to provide practitioners with a minimum of about four different ways to program these things without doing a one RM catch. Now, there are obvious limitations and by no means is this literature or this research going to say, don't do a one RM to program off of. It's saying, here's additional literature. This is what the velocities are compared to what they are at these different percentages. So that's kind of what we're looking at. So we have four different uh, polling variations, um, all based off of a hang power clean one RM. So it's gonna be interesting. There's gonna be a lot of data. Um, 
you know, but uh, I'm excited about it because it's very practical information for coaches, especially if they use all these different methods of VBT. Cool. When, Challenging. When's that drop? <laughs> when I get all the data collected, hopefully it won't take as Ooh. long as the training study. The training study took two and a half years. Um, no, I, uh, I, have a, I have a goal to actually complete um, this data collection, uh, either depending on how many I can get this semester, before the end of this year, um, or by the end of this academic year to have the, all the data collected. Um, writing is obviously going to be the part that takes a little bit longer just because I can write up, you know, intro methods, that type of stuff. But mm -hmm. uh, until I have the results, I can't really do anything. Challenging the paradigm. I like it. Going after the 1RM. Not because it's bad. Maybe because it just gets too much love. It's just... Just because, you know, sh share the love. What is it from Bull Durham? He's just like, <laughs> quit trying to strike everybody out. Throw some ground balls. It's fascist just to strike everybody out. Well, Tim, thank you, man. And thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for tuning in to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Thing. I guess until next time, uh, bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Follow Tim on Instagram at Dr. T. Sukumel. That's S-U-C-H-O-M-E-L. And Brian Mann was discussed uh, several times throughout this episode. And you can refer back to our chats with him in episode 213, 249, and his talk at the 2018 Power Athlete Symposium. And I will link those all up in our show notes. Until next time, 